If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll slip you one. But you can turn to the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 12. And then we'll begin at verse 1, reading, reviewing. It's been a few weeks since we've been in Romans. Um, we had uh, Passion Week. We had uh, Palm Sunday. And then we had a Resurrection uh, Weekend. And then last week, my wife and I were out of town. And so it's good to be back with you, to be back in the book of Romans. So the 12th chapter of Romans. And we'll begin looking at that uh, in this wonderful, wonderful epistle that Paul the Apostle has written to the Christians 2,000 years ago and has written for us as well as we've been going through it since last fall, chapter by chapter and verse by verse here. And as you recall, if you've been with us in our study in the book of Romans, that we began this section in chapter 12, which talks about how we are to live for Christ. In other words, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul has been talking to us about the gospel of Christ. That's the whole theme of the book of Romans, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, chapter 1, for it's the power of God for salvation for all who believe. And so Paul, giving us that theme, then begins to explain to us our need for the gospel, because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, how we receive the gospel, that is, by faith, as he has justified us or declared us righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then we saw that as we come to salvation, to justification, the doctrine of sanctification, and that is the Lord has set us apart to live for him. And then uh, as we now come to this section of Romans, we are going to be told how it is that we live for him. And you recall that the apostle, as he says, now that you understand your position in Christ, your salvation that is found in Christ, this is how you you are to live for Christ. And I'm going to read it to you again in chapter 12, verse 1, that he writes, I beseech you. That's a strong word that Paul is using. He says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, the mercies of God being that he's brought salvation to us that comes through Jesus Christ, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And let's pray before we move on. Lord, I do pray that we would be attentive right now, that we would take just that last second to make sure that our phones are silenced so we can be free from distractions. Because, Lord, this is so important that as we come in here, that we get to spend the next half hour or so hearing from you, from your word. And that's so important to us. So, Lord, I pray that you would teach us, that we would have hearts that are soft to receive your word. And, Lord, to know this, that you desire for us to be a living sacrifice because of your incredible grace and love and mercy that has been bestowed to us. So help us be attentive to the things that we're going to study and read about here this morning in Jesus' name. And so as we looked at those two verses last time with the understanding that God has been very merciful to us, he's forgiven us, he saved us, through the cross of Jesus Christ who died for you and for me. And then now we're exhorted to live for Christ. And he tells us, don't be conformed to this world. And of course, that word means to be shaped. We're not of the world any longer, folks. We are in the world, but we're not to be of the world. Paul would write to the church of Philippi that we're citizens of heaven. 
We belong to an eternal kingdom. We belong to a holy nation, you and I as Christians. So we're not of the world. We're not to act like the world, but we are to be uh, transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will see what God has for you, that it is good, that you may know what the will of God is for you and for me. So as we study his word and as we look at the things and, and focus on the things of God, not of the world, uh, as we uh, are taken in the word of God very carefully, and that's why we emphasize God's word here at Calvary Chapel. We go through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. This is God's instruction book to you and to I, how we can live for him, the commandments given to us, his precepts, uh, his will for us. And as we do that, there's a renewing of the mind. Now, Paul talks a lot about that in his epistles. He talks about the renewing of the mind. He talks about having the mind of Christ. That's a recurring theme that we see in the book of Philippians. He, he talks about setting our minds on the things above. All these repetitive themes that, that we have, renewing your mind, it's not the entertaining of your mind. But as we're taken in the word of God, there is a renewing of the mind, a transformation takes place. It means there is a shift of thinking and living from the world. We're no longer to be involved in a former lust, the things of the world, we're in the world, but we are living and thinking the things of God. We're walking in the spirit, chapter eight of Romans. And recall that we were told in chapter eight that to be spiritually minded is life and peace, but to be carnally minded or worldly minded is death. So you and I as Christians, we have the privilege and, and the opportunity to experience life and peace because we're no longer walking after the flesh. We're no longer walking after the world, but we're spiritually minded and we are becoming living sacrifices for the Lord where we're renewing our mind. And that's the great need in the church today because culture in the world invades Christians' lives and churches so easily if we're not careful. So a change has taken place in our minds and in our hearts, taken into the word of God, the things of God. And then what has taken place inside of us, listen, is going to be worked out in your life. Always remember this, that what's in your heart is going to be worked out in your life. And I know I've said this repeatedly, but a good evaluation to go before the Lord is say, Lord, my heart. And it'd be like David that says, David, search me and try me. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Because what is in our hearts will be worked out in our lives. And so in that last phrase of verse 2, knowing that the word of God is alive, is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing our hearts, being worked into our hearts. Our hearts are likened into fertile soil. That's the way we are to be as Christians, as we know that parable of the sower, that it, the seed of the word is planted there. It takes root there. There's a renewing of our mind that will lead to what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And of course, that is presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, submitting to God. And as I've said this many times, and I want to remind you once again, that being a Christian doesn't mean that Jesus is added to your life. He is your life. He is your Lord over every area of your life. And we know as we are taking in the word of God, as we are growing, becoming a living sacrifice unto the Lord, 
that we know what pleases God and we know what his will is for us. So that sets the stage, which is very important for the rest of chapter 12, even through chapter 15, as we're going to be learning here in these chapters, how it is that we become a living sacrifice unto the Lord. So let's continue in verse 3 as we read, Paul inspired by the Spirit of God writing, For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So as you live in that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, in that reasonable service, be careful not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Paul writes that, first of all, that being a living sacrifice, giving your all to the Lord, and then be one that renews your mind, that it will be proved in your life, it will be evident in your life, and God's goodwill being worked out, and part of God's desire for us is that we serve Him. That we serve Him, first of all, with humility of heart and with humility of mind. And so Paul now is going to be talking about spiritual gifts. As you step out in the will of God for your life, God is going to gift you and enable you to do that good and acceptable and perfect will that he has for your life. So Paul makes the point, listen, first of all, before we get into the spiritual gifts, as we're going to see in chapter 12, as we will continue and move through the chapter, that there's this rapid fire in how you and I are to live uh, as we, we look at all of this. And, and as we do, he says, this is something for you to remember. Don't think too highly of yourself. And in other words, don't boast in yourself. Don't boast in your abilities, in your talents. You are to think soberly. And what that word soberly means, as most of you know, is it just simply means you're to think rightly. This is the right way to think. It is by God's grace that he's gifted you to do what he's called you to do in serving others. We know it's by God's grace that he saved us in the first place. And here Paul writes that as he's is going to talk about how we become a living sacrifice, how God gives us that he has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So God has given every believer some faith in which to serve him. And as you step out in faith in what God has called you to do, as he enables you, he gifts you to do that which edifies the church, the body of Christ. And you're going to be blessed and you're going to be a blessing to others. I think that there's no greater blessing, I think we would all agree, than being a Christian. There really isn't. And to be a Christian, to come, to know that we're saved, that we're not going to be eternally lost. Our sins are forgiven and we're born again by the Spirit of God. No greater blessing, no greater joy, but it is also a great blessing and a joy to say, Lord, I'm going to be a living sacrifice unto you because of your great mercies. And Lord, to serve you in whatever that you have for me, how you gifted me, where you've planted me, opportunities given to me. And one of the things that Paul reminds us when God blesses us as we serve him, make sure, understand this, be reminded that you're to remain humble. And we know that Jesus talked a whole lot about it. The disciples, we talked about this just a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night, as even on the night that Jesus was having his last meal with his disciples before he was arrested and went to the cross, they're arguing who's the greatest in the kingdom. And they would continue, that, that was a continuation 
of the last several months of them arguing who's going to sit on the left and who's going to sit on the right and who's the greatest. And Jesus, he would teach them that if you want to be great, you need to be humbled. You need to be the servant of all. You need to serve others. Wash feet as Jesus gave that example there in that upper room. And make sure you and I, as we're being reminded once again, that we keep a proper perspective as you realize that you have real purpose in life, that you have real uh, eternal things that you're able to do for the Lord, that you're a blessing to others in the body of Christ, and you see fruit that's being produced in your life. It's because God has called you and given you the privilege and the honor to serve him and has gifted you to do it and given you a measure of faith. So stay humble. Don't think too highly of yourself. And unfortunately, what can happen, because we're still in this flesh, is that the flesh can rear its ugly head, and there can be a tendency in us, we want to be exalted. We want to think highly of ourselves. And it can happen to us if we're not careful. If we're not going to the Lord consistently and always and saying, Lord, keep me humble. Because pride can come in so easily into my life and to all of our lives. And we begin to think we may not express it verbally. But Lord, oh, you know, you're using me. And you're really blessed to have me being used of you, Lord. Look what's happening. Look at my gifts. Look at my abilities, my talents. It's, you know, and, and we begin to boast in, in what God is doing. Listen, you remember that when we went over that section in uh, chapter 3, when Paul began to give that doctrine of justification. Hey, the world stands guilty before God. We all need the gospel. And then he says that we're justified freely, and that means we cannot earn salvation. We are justified freely by his grace, the unmerited favor of God. He repeats that in chapters 4 and 5, that our salvation is a free gift that comes as we surrender our lives and come in faith. In other words, we cannot earn our salvation. When we stand before the Lord, we cannot say to him, I deserve to be in heaven. I deserve to, you know, eternal life because I belong to the church or I was baptized in the church or I gave to the church or I worshiped on this certain day. I, I was this religious. Here's my righteousness. That's not going to work. And as Paul, he's explaining to us that we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, that where's the boasting then, he asks. It's excluded. In other words, that we can't boast in what we have done. It's all based on what he has done on the cross. He paid it all, the price for you and for me. He rose from the grave. So that's the wonderful truth about the gospel and Christianity. And so as we cannot boast in what we have done, we're not going to be able to boast. And when we stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ, which we will talk about more in detail when we get to Romans chapter 14, you see a lot of Christians don't understand that we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's Romans chapter 14. It is not the great white throne judgment that unbelievers will be judged that we will see in the book of Revelation. It is the Bema reward seat of Christ 
to be judged not for our sins. Jesus took that judgment upon the cross for you and for me. But we're going to be rewarded. There's rewards that the Lord desires to give to us and crowns as we will stand at the Bema reward seat to be judged for what we have done in the body, whether good or bad. In other words, what we do for Christ, that's what's going to last. Everything else is going to burn up. Everything else is wood, hay, and stubble. And the things that we did for Christ are like precious metals. And so when we stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ, we're not going to be able to boast either. We're not going to be able to say, yeah, I, I deserve all of that. I deserve these rewards. I, I deserve this crown. Because he saved us. He forgave us. He now lives inside of our hearts, enables us to be a living sacrifice. He gifts us by his grace and by his will. And then he's going to reward us. We got a pretty good deal, don't we? So we need to keep a proper perspective is what he's saying. I think it's very unfortunate that in the church today that there's more of, you know, terms like celebrity pastor or we like to elevate people and, and, and those who are well known. Listen, God is using them. God will use one person that perhaps is ministering to a lot of people, but they're not to think too highly of themselves. We're not to elevate them. We're not to exalt them. The one that we exalt is Jesus Christ. So Paul is telling us, be sober-minded. Hey, keep a proper perspective. And, and we need to guard our hearts. Now, that is different than encouraging one another. I think that in the body of Christ, that we need to provoke one another for good works, as the writer of Hebrews says. That we're to encourage one another, to lift each other up, to be a blessing to one another. I know that when the first time, and we're not going to get to it this morning, that the first time that I taught, and there's a gift of teaching, I remember the first time, it was awful, folks. It was awful. 27, over 27 years ago is, is you know, before they ordained me as a pastor. But I remember I, as soon as I got off the platform, I was sweating and I, I was about ready to faint. I was so scared. I was so nervous. A guy came up to me and he went down his five points what I did wrong. And, and really, it devastated me to where I thought, I'll never teach again. I will never teach a Bible study again. You see, we live in a culture and we live in a society that we're, it's so toxic. We love to analyze. We love to scrutinize. We love to criticize and be negative and tear people down. Listen, we can be honest with people. But you and I, we're to lift each other up. We're to edify one another, to encourage one another. Because as we're gifted in these spiritual giftings, that the Lord continues to work and develop those giftings. And we're to encourage one another. We need that. But not to be like the world where we're just, oh, that was terrible. You know, and, and just being that kind of mindset. So I know that, Lord, that anything good that comes from me in the body of Christ, that it is you that gets the glory. Because he will not share his glory with any man or any woman, Isaiah declares. And I know that if it wasn't for God's grace that has called me and allowed me to minister and gifted me, I'd fall flat on my face. I'd be nothing more than a babbling idiot. So Paul's saying, listen, be sober-minded. Don't think so highly of yourself. 
Keep it all in perspective. In verse 4, now he, as he continues, he says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So God will gift you to serve him. That is good and acceptable and the, and the perfect will of God. Remember, don't think too highly of yourself. It's by God's grace. And now Paul talks about the unity of the body of Christ and also the diversity in the body of Christ. Paul makes an analogy of our own bodies, an analogy that he makes in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when speaking about the spiritual gifts. It's an analogy that we can understand. This body here, you know, it's one body, but it is made up of many members. I have eyes that see, ears that hear. I have a mouth that speaks. I have hands, fingers, arms, legs, toes, feet. If you break it down in minute details, there's millions uh, of uh, different parts to my body that work together so that my body functions. So all of us as believers, as we now make the analogy, the spiritual analogy to the body of Christ, you and I as believers, we make up the body of Christ. There's really only one church, and that is believers in Jesus Christ. Now, I know there's different churches. There's different groups and different denominations. But there's really only one body, and that is those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we at Calvary Chapel, we make up the body of Christ, just a small part of the body of Christ worldwide, in our nation, in our state, even in, in Greeley. And when Jesus... When he was praying in the garden right before his arrest and he was sent to the cross, in John chapter 17, he's praying to the Father. And his prayer was that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. So God's desire is for us to understand that there is one body and his desire is to, for us to understand that there's unity in the body of Christ. And where's our unity found? It's found in Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, as we come to the communion table here in just a little bit, the communion is for the believer. And it is remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us as we hold the elements, as we have the, the, the bread that represents his body that was broken for us, and the cup that represents his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sin in this new covenant that we have, a covenant based on Jesus' sacrifice for you and for me, his love and provision for us. And as we come to the communion table, as we remember Jesus, that's where our unity is found. So we have unity. It doesn't mean we have uniformity. You see, some people think that having unity in the body of Christ, that we're all going to be exactly the same. And we're not. Not all the churches are the same. We saw that evident in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches. So there are some churches that may be more charismatic. There are some churches that are more conservative and different style of worship and all these different things. But we all make up the body of Christ. So Jesus is the head. We're the body. We are individually each members of the body so that we have different giftings to edify and help the body function as it should. When Paul was discussing spiritual gifts to the church at Corinth, he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. There's differences of ministry, but the same Lord. And when individuals are doing what they are gifted by the Lord to do, 
then the body functions and we can reach a lost world and we edify and encourage one another. And we are to have the mindset of, I've been gifted and called to do this and I know that is, is to benefit others in the body of Christ. And what I hope and pray is we would never think, again, looking at the world's definition of what success is in ministry, that we would never come in and say, why don't you minister like I do? Why don't you be more like me? There's ministry that takes place here, and it's interesting. Every once in a while, uh, I'll get somebody to come and say, well, you know, you need to be doing this. And it's like, how do you know that isn't being done? Just because not all the spiritual gifts are seen by everyone. We're going to be talking about the gift of ministering, that is serving in practical ways. There's people serving in practical ways that you don't see, that has taken place all the time here in amazing ways. Those who give, the gift of giving. You don't see who gives. You know, those who have the gift of mercy, all the different giftings that take place, we don't see it all the time. So we want to make sure that, first of all, that we don't start looking down and judging others. You need to minister like I minister. Well, maybe they're not gifted in the way that you are. Maybe they have different opportunities. We all are different. We're individual members. And Paul would say that you have diversities of ministry. In other words, differences of ministry. You may have the gift of teaching, but you're not called to be behind the pulpit. You're gifted to teach the children or a small group or disciple, you know, somebody or to youth. We're going to talk about all those things. So as we go through this, I think you'll be greatly encouraged. And I hope and pray that we never think that a ministry is insignificant. Because it is not. And as I look at all the different ministries that take place here at Calvary Chapel, I am so thankful. I'm so thankful that the gift of ministering is used. That there are those who come in and clean the church. That get the coffee shop ready. That set up tables. That mold the lawn. That shovel the snow. That serve in making meals to others. I am so thankful that there are those who have the gift of administration. That are able to help in that way. I'm thankful there are those who have the gift of, of giving. And they give in a very special way. And, and all the giftings that take place. And those ministries are important. So whatever God has called you to do, how he's gifted you, that is important to the Lord. And the gifts and callings, as we saw in Romans chapter 11, uh, chapter 11, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. In other words, what he's called you to do and where he has placed you and the giftings he's given to you is important to him. And it is important in the body of Christ. So don't think that, that your ministry is insignificant. And we can begin to think that. I can, you know, begin to compare myself. There's always somebody bigger and, and more and grander and more popular, and I begin to get down on myself. Or there's always somebody smaller and, and you know, doesn't have as big as church, and I can start to feel good about myself. Listen, we move in where God has us and how he's gifted us and be thankful for that and to stay humble before the Lord and to continue to do that. And that's where the joy comes in. So Paul here, he begins to talk about these gifts that all of us as believers that make up one body, the body of Christ, we're individual members of the body, we're gifted differently to serve in different functions within the body of Christ. And now the apostle talks about some of these gifts that individual members of the church 
uh, are going to be exercising. I'm going to read chapter, or verses 6 through 8 of chapter 12. We're not going to get to it this morning, but just a couple comments, and then we'll close and come to the communion table. But in verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, and he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so here Paul, he runs down this list, and these are not all the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, we have listed there, which are usually called the sign gifts, tongues, interpretations of tongues, prophecies, gift of healings, uh, word of knowledge, wisdom, all that. Here, these gifts are usually called the motivational gifts, or I call them the serving gifts. And I think that as we go through this, that you'll be greatly encouraged. And then more gifts are mentioned in, in Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter chapter 4 as well. But here's the thing before we close to remember. To remember that God will gift us as, number one, He wills and according to His grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, for you note-takers, talking about spiritual gifts, tells us that the Holy Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. Here it's according to His grace. So keep that in mind. It isn't because the Lord looked down on me and said, you're so together and you're so good. You're such a wonderful teacher, I'm going to use you, and you deserve these giftings. It's according to His grace, the unmerited favor of God, and according to His will. And those who minister, minister then, he says uh, in verse 6. Having gifts differing according to the grace that is given, let us use them. So he desires as he gifts you to use it. You might be thinking, hey, I don't know what my gift is in the body of Christ. Listen, you keep coming. You come as we're going to go over these gifts individually. And you might be thinking, I think I have that gift. And as you're growing in the Lord, here's the interesting thing. He will work those gifts in us supernaturally, naturally. You say, that doesn't make sense. Listen, he supernaturally gives us those gifts according to what? His will and his grace. And you're going to see that that gifting is going to be just worked out in your life naturally. How is it that you're wired? How is it that, you, you know, uh, you love to minister in this way? Maybe you love just being behind the scenes doing practical things. You got the gift of ministering. Maybe you just love to give. You, you got the gift of giving. Maybe you, you, you function in, in teaching. Oh, not behind the pulpit, but I love teaching kids. And that's why you don't see me here pounding on the pulpit saying, you've got to do this ministry. You've got to teach. You, you need to get in there. Maybe you're not called to do that. You're not gifted in that way. But you'll begin to realize that, you know, this is naturally being worked out in me supernaturally. Because the Lord has gifted me, and I flow in it, and I really enjoy that, and I have great joy. Because if you're trying to do a ministry that you're not gifted to do and called to do, you're going to be frustrated. And you're going to end up in that frustration, and finally you just throw in the towel. And so it's important for us in the body of Christ to understand what your gifting is, and to move in that gifting, and it's going to be different opportunities. It's going to be in different functions, in different ways. And we don't have to judge one another. We don't have to, you know, think that we're better than one another or my ministry is insignificant. But what? Be full of joy. 
because, Lord, you're using me and where you have placed me. And that's important to you, Lord, to be able to edify and encourage and bless others. So we're going to stop here. We're going to go to the communion table. And, Father, we thank you for this, this time in your word, just starting to get into a very important section to where, Lord, um, we realize that you desire for us to be a living sacrifice, to be humbled, and, Lord, to step out as the measure of faith that you've given to us and the giftings that you want to give to us. So, Lord, I thank you for this time. I, I thank you for, uh, Lord, just your incredible grace, uh, saving us, Lord, and setting us apart for you, and gifting us and empowering us. And, Lord, it's all for the kingdom that's going to last forever. And as we get ready to come to the communion table, Lord, I know that it is for the believer. So I want to pray uh, if there is anyone here that maybe you've never made a decision for Jesus Christ. He loves you. Jesus went to the cross to die for you. And he is your salvation. There is none other. Jesus alone paid the price for your sins. And he alone rose from the grave. And he alone can save you and forgive you as you come and surrender your life to him and come in faith, trusting in him to be forgiven for eternal life, to come in the right relationship with the Father. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you do that? Today is the day of salvation. And you can pray right where you are that Jesus, I come and I ask that you would forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. You were put into a tomb. You rose again. And that you're alive. And I ask that you would sit upon the throne of my life, the throne of my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for saving me. I thank you for this new beginning. And I thank you for your love for me, proven to me. And I look forward to knowing you and walking with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And if you're here, you prayed that prayer, we're going to have a prayer team up front. Or if you're listening later on the radio or live stream, uh, whatever the case may be, that if you make a decision for Christ, let somebody know. Call us and let us know. Because we want to bless you and encourage you. But right now, as the communion elements are handed out, I would ask that we all hang on to them, be in an attitude of worship, thinking about the Lord, what he's provided for us, and then we'll partake of them together.